0: Yes, you lovely people. If you're not already, make sure you give us a follow over on Spotify. This is the part of football that I just still don't understand. So we have coaches for absolutely everything, Steve. We do. We have You have fitness yeah. coaches, you have um, gym coaches, first team coaches, goalie coaches. You have a shooting coach. Yeah, you have everything yeah. for coaches. But in football clubs, you still don't have somebody to work on the brain. A brain coach. A like a, a, full-time a full-time
1: resource. A full-time...
0: hello everybody welcome to the fozcast today we are joined by a platinum selling author of the world famous chimp paradox and more recently his new book a path through the jungle it is professor steve peters welcome steve
2: thank you very much thanks for inviting me oh, it's a pleasure. pleasure
0: honestly it is a pleasure and an honor to meet you well actually i've met you before actually um and i don't want to do you the disservice of trying to explain exactly what it is that you do so are you able to tell the listeners exactly what it is that Steve Peters does?
2: Yeah, I suppose that the backdrop is, uh, I'm a doctor. So I did work in the NHS for about 20 years. Um, and then I got sort of detoured into sport initially, uh, and then worked with the bridge cycling team, uh, and bridge swimming, uh, in the early days. And then lots of sports got involved. So I became known as the sports psychiatrist, uh, and that sort of changed my life. I left the, uh, health service um and then it, that then expanded again so i'm working a lot with um other organizations like the police the blue light services um the army um and then businesses and then individuals in, in all walks of life so sport is a part of my job but it's not a major part wow
0: okay so um can we i'm going to take it back then to where yeah. we first met okay so um it was the world cup in brazil 2014 um the the manager of Roy Hodgson brought yep. you in. Um, what Can you explain Try what his sort of reasoning was for, for bringing you in in the first place?
2: Yeah, I mean, he had a lot of insights, I think, in where he was going. And so he called me in and I met him at Wembley initially. And he wanted to know what I'd done in other sports and how it could work within football. And I was working with Liverpool anyway. So I was explaining to him how I approached this and what I did. And it was late in the day really, because obviously just the way that things work in football, the world team got pulled together. Um, so I said, I can only do what I do, but certainly there were Liverpool players there. So it meant that you know, they knew what I okay. did and they would continue to work with me. But I said, it's very hard for people to come in and grasp what I'm doing because it is something you've got to do ongoing. It's not just like a little pep talk. Uh, what I do is skills-based, so and they take time, you know, months. To, to evolve so, so what was the reception
0: like from that England team um, when you first got in because I remember I remember we you, you did sort of like one on one sessions with the players right. you did a group talk which yeah. was absolutely fascinating um, and like literally it's, it, I remember everybody just sitting there sort of open mouth going wow this is incredible um, and then you arranged sort of individual sessions um, and I, I've done a, a little bit of work with psychology and about sort of mental state and all that kind of stuff in the past so I was, I was all over it and I, was, I remember having some really good conversations with you what was the general consensus from the players like from the people like
2: I think it was good I think obviously one or two people will say I don't want this or I'm okay which is the right you know not everybody wants to get involved with it but most people want saw it differently after the talk saying oh right we get it he's not coming in to say you need to do the following what he's saying is explore the way that you are thinking and behaving and is it optimal for what you're trying to achieve that's my starting point You know, as I say, I'm a doctor and I'm a neuroscientist. So I'm saying, if you look at your unique mind, if you start learning what it does and what you want, then you work with this machine to optimize performance. But it means I don't have a recipe. So I think the reception was good. Um, So new players came to me. But the setting, as you know, was quite demanding physically, a lot of training, the guys had to rest up. So there wasn't really that opportunity to fully engage because people are tired and they've got a busy program. It wasn't like a relaxed time, it was quite intense. Um, And so ideally, I mean, when I work with sports, you, you work for two years before the event. And that way you've got a really good working relationship where when we go to an event they will say to me don't come near me Steve I'm okay or they'll say just hover in case I need to like reinforce what I want to do with my mind or I'll work very closely with them right up to them performing so everybody tells me what they want and my job is to find that out yeah. and make sure are on the same page and optimize them
0: another thing you did as well was um, when we were at St George's Park you actually brought Dave Brailsford in right. um, and again got everybody to sit down Roy Hodgson and all that kind of thing and Dave, uh, Dave Brailsford got up and spoke in front of everybody and it was genuinely it must have been an hour an hour and a half or something and i've never seen a group of 40 people 40 grown men just sit there in absolute awe listening to these stories of how he basically revolutionized sort of team gb team sky all that kind of it was fantastic wasn't
2: it yeah i mean obviously i I go back over 20 years now with dave so he's a good friend and uh, very again insightful man who had a vision and um i'm sure you want me saying at the first time i met him i was brought in by the doctor in the team at the time and uh, dave met me and he made it clear that he wasn't into psychology psychiatry he doesn't did any of this um, but i worked with uh, uh, someone who i can't mention because again during this um podcast i'm only going to mention people who have said no definitely tell the public that i work with you and share Suitable stories because it's great to get someone else's experience. But I remember him coming to me saying, um, What did you do with this athlete? And I told him, I said, Well, I he said, just do it again. And at that point, he handed me Chris Hoy. Wow. Uh, so, and Chris Hoy, he's the, the ultimate gentleman. Uh, Is he really? Yeah, superb and so focused. I mean, a brilliant guy. Uh, if you've not interviewed him, you should do. Yeah, we do uh, need to get Chris uh, Hoy yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah um, we should. And, absolutely the professional in every sense and chris was in a great place when i met him but he recognized this he said look i believe i've got potentially more percentage by using my mind so that it doesn't like not just sabotage me but i'm not optimizing it to enhance what i do so i started work with with chris hoy and and from there uh dave Brailsford then started buying in because chris was improving and then chris said i want steve at athens olympics so I have mentioned this story before, so it's quite public there, that I didn't want to go, but I thought, well, Chris is a great guy. I'll go with Chris. And I was working with Vicky Pendleton. And we got to Athens Olympics, and you know, it was all fairly new to me uh, as the first Olympic games. And, um, and then there was a moment where Chris won the Olympics and it was the, the stadium erupted, you know, and we'd done a lot of work in the holding camp on mental skills to acquire this so that he'd be like robotic out there. And he did performed amazingly. So I'm glad I had a tiny contribution to that. And um, Dave turned to me and he said, oh, y- you know, you could do this as a career for the rest of your life. And I remember thinking, what a nightmare. <laughs> <I> <laughs> so don't I, want I'm not a sports fan. <laughs> and I just thought it was just too much for me. The the, the whole Olympics, it was just like overcrowded. With are, you st- and-
0: are you still like that now with sports in general? Is sports just not your
2: thing? Sports is not my thing. Uh, but. I like working with people so if they take me to the sporting arena and i can help to make a difference then i'll do so yeah. so no originally when i started doing the mind management it was with anaesthetists and e-consultants oh, and e-surgeons wow. and it was about in the operating theaters and in casualty where things might go wrong and yeah. how do we retain calmness and focus uh, and get the job done without our minds starting to put us into a panic mode so you can see the similarities with sports yeah. it wasn't a, that big a transition Cause you're working with the principle that our mind if we're not careful can hijack us so we need to recognize what when it might prevent it from happening and if it does how to turn it around quickly and get back to where we want to be oh sorry i just need to jump on the
0: day of rails thing. Remember, something's literally just popped in my mind i've got to tell this story it was fun it was so incredible right he, he said um so he was talking about chris hoy in this um he told a few stories which were f- incredible but this one particular story he said um he said so chris so we we're, we're training on this certain time this ter- certain pace okay so this is how fast you're going to be going and you need to be riding at this certain power and your heart rate and we stick at that okay we stick at that that's what we're training at because we think that's what's oh. going to make you win okay oh. and chris was like yeah cool 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 uh, and he said so what happens if you're second, you go second on the track and the guy in front of you has just gone quicker than your time? And he went, I'll just go quicker. And he went, no no it doesn't work (laughs) like that chris you will blow up if you try and go quicker than what we've literally planned for for four years you will blow up and like it went from there it was just absolutely fascinating yeah that
2: that's what we did uh, when when chris had said that we got him first to be in this like mindset where he knew with the process which is what sports about follow the process and optimize it so again and chris has given permission to speak about this and um and we sat there and that's when i threw that at him what happens if And it happened, it actually happened on the day somebody broke the Olympic record and Chris said initially he did have that like panicky feeling and then he thought no because we rehearsed this because he did say I'll go faster (laughs) and that's where I went to Dave and I said Dave whatever happens we need to keep him calm and he needs to follow process because he and and Chris to be fair switched off completely he said I didn't even know what was happening when the third and second guy went up he was totally focused and he got on the bike and performed as he knew And I remember Chris saying to me he didn't remember it was the Olympics wow. until he went through the line and looked up and saw the flags and then he realized and by which time he'd broken the Olympic record again and got the goal
1: and that's about being robotic that that's about that muscle memory and it could be in the velodrome on a on a tuesday training or yeah. it could be at the olympics but that's partly the the body yeah. and then partly the mind where you're training it to be yeah at any other ride
2: yeah and but i'll just sort of contradict in that I, my big point is you're unique I don't know what will work for you. So if you say to me, no, Steve, that's not going to work for me because my mind will jump around and I can't manage it because it is a skill. So what do I do if it jumps around? So in what I'd call my advanced lessons, I would ask you to use that emotion, allow it to come in, but let's use it. So we're going to teach you how to use the emotion. So when I brought in the chimp model, what effective I'm saying is let's tune into those circuits and actually go into chimp mode. So there are times where I would say move into chimp mode. Generally, you don't. It will give you drive and motivation, which are not really that important in success. People keep going on about this, and I keep saying there's no evidence for this. There's evidence commitment gives success, which is a different circuitry in the brain. So, But there are times I will go with that drive and say, right, let's employ and harness the power of the chimp. The problem is if you do that, i um, getting very nerdy here. Scientifically, that system is the most unstable in your mind. So this is where it can lead to choking uh, in sport, or it can lead to people going into, a flicking from aggression and fight to flight. And then it's a disaster. And, and also, when that system's employed, our judgment becomes grossly impaired. So imagine that you've got emotional about anything, say in an argument, you start saying and doing things, afterwards you think, that was so wrong and out of order and it didn't help but that's because that system hasn't got a balanced judgment and it doesn't look at consequence. So it acts in the moment. So, But if we can employ that at a particular moment in a particular sport, then it can be, can be advantageous. So for example, the one I'd pick on, 400 meter running, um, and I'm familiar with that. So I think you nearly all 400 meter runners experience this terrible moment where you're switching from anaerobic to aerobic running. And it's usually from about the steeplechase to uh, Onto Oof. the straight. So you've still got about 80 to 150 meters to run. And so it's inevitably your mind then will give this feeling, I can't make it. So that is what I'm calling the chimp brain. It sort of like wants to give up and it may say things which I've had working with people, I'll try and pretend to pull a hamstring because I can't do this. (laughs) Uh, All they'll do stupidly, a poor judgment where they'll overkick quickly, which you never do. You got to wind into a sprint, otherwise your legs will go. So they make poor judgments. But if you actually train them to harness the chimp and call on that part of your brain and say, look, I can't do this, I've got to get help. It's amazing how most people will get actually an advantage now because the chimp brain kicks in and it will drive you now. So this is where people say under emotional situations, people get an inner strength they didn't realise they had. This is exactly what you're tapping into. So again, it's learning what the brain does and doesn't do and what the risks are, but most importantly, what your brain does. So we know that some people, if something happened outside an accident, you know, some people know they're not good. They'll start to panic yeah. and not know. Whereas other people who can often be anxious people who say, when I and get confronted with something serious, for some reason I go calm. So you start to realize the patterns of the brains are unique to you. And it's saying, let's see what your brain does and let's see what you want it to do. And let's see how you manage to get what you want.
0: Where does that come from? Is that, is that inbuilt in you Are you born with that? Is that traits you've learned as you've grown up through certain things that might have happened
2: to you? Yeah, I'm, there's a mixture of both so this is the nurture nature they both impact and some people nature is always 90 percent and others nurture is 90. depends on the person yeah. um but if you want to go really nerdy uh <laughs> I, the, the big one that i quote again is the studies done on on a fetus uh, and when we stress a mum and we see cortisol levels rise in the bloodstream so this is the hormone when stress is starting to appear uh, or we measure heart rate which is another one which potentially can be stress. Uh, we notice that most fetuses react to that, so their heart rate goes up and the cortisol level will rise, the fetus responds. But some don't, they're just horizontal. Like I, say, I joke about it, saying they sort of say she'll get over it. Uh, and then if you look at those babies six months after birth, it's the same pattern. Really? So it's genetically driven. So we're almost born with a system which is either horizontal, which is very few people, or it's really quite anxious yeah. and jittery and paranoid and defensive. Is that the majority of people? That's the majority, because you that's your survival mechanism. Yeah. So, again, I say to people, if you were born with the system which is horizontal, you wouldn't survive yeah. in the wild because, you know, you can't You're just asleep. think, well, it's just <laughs> a leopard. You know, <laughs> you've got to panic and get up a tree. So I think people should celebrate if their brain is giving them a lot of jitteriness, paranoia, anxiety, feelings. They should celebrate that as being healthy, but not helpful. So it's learning to say, right, when do I need to use that? Which is rare. Yeah. Uh, but it needs to be employed. And when do I use that energy and turn it around? So I manage that system. And that's what I'm about. It's saying, right, you've given a predisposition, but not predetermination. So if you've got predisposition to be like an anxious type of person, then you're, you can determine what's different by just managing your skills in your mind to become actually a relaxed person who doesn't have those sort of like quick reacting moments it's
1: amazing those two because i read your book years ago and it was it was absolutely fascinating it it still is to this day read it again recently and that's something i've had to work really hard on is is managing the the chimp and saying like and i think it has come a little bit more with age and where i've said no let's just break this down because this isn't a kind of Rational thought—it's not—it's—it's it's not doing me any good. So I've had to kind of engage with the other side of my brain and say, "No, okay, let's break it down." Um, you're on on the other other side of things when we talk about being like horizontal and stuff yeah. whenever we go anywhere and whenever we travel I get this like anxiety about missing and the train and, and like yeah, if we've time, got a two-hour yeah. journey I'm wanting to leave four hours in advance and Ben's wanting to leave an hour and a half in advance yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's it's that kind of um, a dynamic but I think it's very interesting that you say about that like that natural like yeah. even a, even a, um, mm. as a fetus having that element of of being relaxed because I think it it comes to different people at different times, but ultimately you have to manage it, don't you?
2: Yeah. But again, it's like taking them away, which a lot of people get these like low self-esteem because of this system instead of saying, actually, it's not even to what height you are, you know, or what color your eyes are, you're given them, you gotta live with it. So you, but you don't go around saying, I feel guilty. Yeah, you know it's ridiculous, and yet emotionally, for some reason, I'm trying to help people to see that the science behind it, the neuroscience shows that we're given this like system and placed in our head, and we're not. We didn't ask for this system; it was given to us, and it's genetically predetermined. So, therefore, you don't shouldn't feel guilty or low self-esteem. You should say, right, this is a great system, but I need to just modify the way it's presenting. Yeah. So again, I say to people, you can't, you can't <clears> get <throat> anxious. Your system can. But you need to distinguish between my system is getting anxious and I'm anxious because human beings don't by nature get anxious. If we take the part of the brain which is within our control and our conscious awareness, it doesn't do anxiety. It just deals with life, which is what we're like when we rationalise and we actually calm down, even chatting to friends. We come around and get perspective because we've changed systems. So in the 1990s, when I was looking at this and you're looking at functional MRI scanners, which we've now got to see the brain in action, it suddenly became this light bulb moment to me that I'm working with these people as patients and I'm doing a lot of cognitive type stuff, which is like looking at their thoughts. And, but actually I'm talking to two different systems. And I could see it in the room, like I'm thinking, this man or woman is talking from this, what I'm now classing as a chimp system. It's just reacting to the world. And then I talk them through it and calm them down. And suddenly they talk rationally and starts to know you're right. And then, then they become come around, it's a different personality. And I started to see that. So I looked at the neuroscience and then going backwards on my experience was saying, well, there it is sat looking at me. The dorsolateral cortex is actually us. We have control of that, whereas the orbitofrontal is just a system that keeps taking the lead and taking over. So it was interesting, like for someone like yourself, where you say, I get anxious before. I would correct that and say, no, that's not true. Let's go with the truth. The truth is your system is prone to anxiety. Your system likes to be on time and even a little bit too much. So your, my work with you would be to say, well, if that is the problem to you, what do you want? How do you want to do it? If you say, I'd like to go an hour before right? and, I, and I want to be calm, then I'd say, okay, so now we're looking at that's who you are. That's what you're doing. We're going to stop the interference. So it's very important to recognize it's interference. It isn't you. And when I started doing that work in the 1990s, because the chip model's been around for 30 years, um, and I did that in the 1990s, and that's when the, the people I worked with who were patients at the time, that I worked with a lot of people, probably who weren't ill but were dysfunctional, that started saying, This is like, I can breathe now. I've found me. And I've also got this machine, which I didn't want to demonize the machine. It's a great machine, but it does think for us and it does act for us trying to help us. Mm. So I keep saying, you know, which didn't come over well in the chimp paradox, but as in this one, I hope, in a path through the jungle, I'm trying to say it's the best friend you've got. This system is your best friend, but you've got to manage them. Yeah. You've got to understand them and say, what are they trying to tell me? Don't engage with what they're doing. Say, no, no, I've got to calm them down and tell them what, is really happening and bring some factual information some perspective some reality to the situation and that's when that system will calm down so so, so is so anxiety
0: then I would say from what you just said sounds to me like it's not Anxiety doesn't just happen to you, it's, it's as a result of then thinking about the ramifications of if you're late and then the possibilities of what might happen from there yes. onwards and then not being able to deal with it. So if you get anxious about meeting, if I'm meeting like a mega star actor or something, you know, I'm really nervous, like, oh my God, I'm, I'm anxious kind of thing. Is that because I'm thinking, what if he sees me, he can see I'm anxious, I'm not able to speak to them, and then he might go away and think, he's weird. Is that the bit that makes you anxious?
2: Yeah, and then it would be unique to you. So you might get two people, you're both meeting someone that you know of, and, and I say, what is it that's, in your opinion, creating your chimp's anxiety? I'm going to keep using that yeah. to say it's not you. You're experiencing this anxiety, so the chimp's trying to give you a message. And yours might be, I'm frightened that I fumble when I get asked. The wrong questions make a mess of it. You know." And therefore, we look at, how do we manage that? So how that doesn't happen. So we get your brain to start working with you. Yeah. So we're actually moving to a third system now, this is your computer. <laughs> Whereas it could be for you, Tom, that doesn't cross your mind. Your fear is, um, will I offend him in some way? You know, or will I not be able to find the right questions? Mm. So you're actually addressing different fears. Yeah, okay. You know? Yeah. And I I have to work out, because I don't know until I talk to you. What is it? First, I always say, start with a blank sheet, always. What do you want to do when you meet this person? How do you want to behave? How do you want to feel? Because that's what you're saying. If I don't get interference, that's how I'll do it. Then we say, right, why are you getting the interference? And let's see what that particular interference is and how you're going to manage it so that that's why i can't give when people say to me and i get asked a lot give five tips for the readers or the listeners or and i can't do it because i say it depends what yeah they're
0: individual. trying to
2: solve if it's yeah. very individual yeah. it's very unique there are general things there are general things
1: you mentioned earlier on about obviously being in in the england camp and it not being a, a guess a quick fix yeah and and something that's techniques that you work with over a, a long period of yeah. time so with with the england Look at that World Cup, for example. We we got knocked England got knocked out in yeah. the group stages. So maybe in an ideal world, you would have worked, want to work with them six months in advance, but you had to deal with with what 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 option you had. When the result isn't what you expect, but maybe the preparation was good, because you said to me, Ben, and you've said on the podcast before, with Roy Hodgson and that England team, it was a good camp. It was a happy camp. Yeah, was, the preparation yeah. was good. Yeah. Just the outcome wasn't right. Yeah. You can't win every time, can yeah. you? So when you feel like the preparation is good but the outcome isn't what you want how
2: how how do people deal again, with that again the ideal way for me uh, obviously i have to deal with like sudden things that happen you can only do what you can do so i change tack then because one thing when you've got a poor outcome and you're not prepared you're just not prepared is you want to express that and you've got to go through almost like a grief reaction i mean this meant so much to them and so many people watching that you've got to accept that the way the mind works is you now go through a grieving process which can take any time from like normally it's around three months uh so it's a bit like a broken bone six weeks is the really bad bit then it heals and remodels and the mind is very similar on a similar time scale so you've got to acknowledge we need to learn how we deal with it in the first six weeks uh, and then what to in the next and then beyond that but it's very unique to them in the ideal world what you would do is you prepare in advance so let me try and give an example for me coming here. Let's say that I came in here and I've not prepared my mind for this This could go wrong. You ask me something awkward or uh, I start fumbling with stuff and I think I haven't got these points across. Something goes wrong and I go out of here and I, I feel like oh, I don't want to do this again. I've just made a fool of myself. I've just, I'm not prepared. Whereas what I've done for myself because I have to apply my, take my own medicine is I've done this so many times. I, I prepare and I say, right, It can go wrong, if it goes wrong, what do I do? And I fall back on values, and my values for me that would stabilize me is I prepare myself before anything I do, whether it's television, radio, these podcasts, and I say, all I can ever do is my best. There's, there's nothing else I can do. So now all I'm going to do is relying on my values. I've done the best I can. And yes, it could go wrong. And some people might say it was hopeless. I didn't enjoy that. I didn't like it. I didn't agree with it. But that's not my problem. So I prepared my mind to say that it can go wrong. What do I do with it if it goes wrong? And I fall back on values. So I've already got that programmed into my head. So now having got that is almost like the equivalent of a safety net. I can relax. There's nothing I personally would have my chimp fearing here because all I can do is my best, and that you'll get from me, whatever it is. That's what you'll get from me, and the rest is in the lap of the gods. Can I can I tell you how I? Um, so so I, I I've
0: been a football for twenty years. Okay, so I'd say for the first probably ten years, maybe I didn't really enjoy it. Actual football, playing playing matches on a Saturday afternoon. I'd never really fully enjoyed it. I couldn't embrace it. Um, being a goalkeeper, you're kind of the last line of defence. You know that if you make a mistake, then it's, it's yeah. inevitably a goal most of the time. Um, so I would always fear making a mistake. So I would go into games where I'd be thinking, just don't mess up today. Don't make a mistake. Yeah. Um, and then i i got to a point where i had to actually go and speak to a, a sports psychologist about how i could change this outlook and yeah. how i could go into games going right i'm just going to have to help these guys out again today because that's what i do i'm the man i'm blah 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 whether, whatever whatever it's bullcrap crap or not whatever um so i found a way of doing it and i i i found for like literally for the last 10 years of my life and i think it's something to do with having children as well once you start having children i i, I felt like there's just more important stuff yes so I actually got into a mindset of going, and I'm sorry for swearing, but I used to just say, fuck it, I did. I used to just think, if I make a mistake, fuck it. So when, I, when I'm, it's the 90th minute of a game and we're winning one nil and they're putting a ball into the box and I know I'm gonna have to come for this and it takes a lot of courage because I know people are watching me and expecting me. And if I don't come for it, people will go, he's a shithouse, he should have come for that, he shit himself. Mm. But I feel, no, fuck it, I'm coming for it. And I had to, actually, for the last 10 years of my life, I'd say pretty much every game I'd go into going, yeah, fuck it. And I, if I make a mistake, cool, I'll own it. But I found that is the best way to deal with it. And it sounds
1: so simple to say it, but that's how isn't, we kind of is it. Isn't that just basically echoing what, what Steve said in the fact that you've, you're prepared. Yeah. So if, if, if you're there with trepidation thinking, oh no, I'm going to make a mistake, but you've called in sick twice and haven't trained and oh, my hamstrings a bit yeah. tight because I've had a few beers the night before. Mm. That's where you but you you train right yeah, and I've you prepare right, right is, and then yeah. and then it's in the lap of the gods. Because what you're
2: saying is now I've got that all in my mind and I've got this what equivalent of a safety now. Now I can get on and enjoy it and yeah. do my stuff and that will produce success. And that's true of anything. But then there may be other things you've got to bolt on. So for example, for me, I can be quite harsh on myself, which I enjoy as long as I don't get too harsh. So again, if I did get outside and my chimp was whispering I'd "Hang on, we've already gone over this.
1: All right? <laughs> I'm not discussing it. But
2: also, I would challenge, if you don't like it, don't do the job. Nobody's forcing you to do it. Yeah. Don't do the job. And then usually my chimp will come and say, well, I want to do it because I want to help people and then stop moaning. Yeah, right? yeah, so you can have a discussion yeah. with yourself, but I think those discussions are really important because when we don't discuss them, uh, that's when it goes around unconsciously in your mind and unsettles you all yeah. the time. So part of my job is to get out of you how are you going to, what is your fear that from the chimp? And also how are you going to manage it? Which will be unique to you. Yeah. So again, I don't know how other people deal with it cause I can't say it's just individual to that person. For me, I, I always have discussions and it's something for people listening is if you want to look at the science, you must talk out loud. That sounds bizarre, but you must, even if you're on your own talk out loud because the way the brain works is when you keep it in your head and you think it gets, goes round in circles, circuitry-wise, and the, the chimp brain or the orbitofrontal cortex holds the, the field, it holds power. So you can't get beyond it, so that's why all these problems just circle in your head. Whereas if you sit down in a room on your own or with someone, and you just express your fears and your concerns and, and let it out, your brain starts to process it by using a different part of your brain to listen and bring perspective. So that's often why when we talk something out, it's I feel better for talking. There is a science behind it, but it's something we all can do rather than allow things to fester in our heads. Anything, just talk them out. And then you'll start to rationalize and use executive skills. You organize things. You become logical. And that's, so I promote people talk. Is that something that
1: comes in the heat of a moment Let, uh, with sport? Because obviously you, you hear people, I mean, I've done it, and an amateur level might play squash, might play golf, and you've got visualisation. So, like, with the golf shot, sometimes if I'm playing particularly well, I might get a bit cocky and say, right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to shape my golf shot here. And, and, and You haven't it. got that in your bag no, either. He can't do no. that. He can't. But, There's no chance. But, that, that's, but when I'm saying about you, maybe the chips are down in the middle yeah. of a sporting contest, look at professionals. They talk to themselves. Is that just a kind of different way of it manifest itself. So people say, come on, you, you've got this, I can do this. But they often hear them say it out loud or even shout it out loud.
2: Yeah, and, and both work actually sort of saying to yourself, come on, you can do, you're encouraging yourself. But also, you know even fears, I just don't think I can do this. Sometimes if you talk them out, then you do get that answer to say, well, hang on, have a go. You know, you've nothing to lose here, yeah. everything to gain. So you can actually talk yourself through it, which a lot of psychologists do. They do this rationalizing of thinking and positive thinking. I think I, I like to sit with reality thinking um, and get perspective rather than positive, because sometimes you can try and fool yourself. But the other thing that's really important when you mentioned there is a lot of people shout out or express when something goes wrong. Uh, and that's now a different system. What you're doing there is, uh, when you look at the way that this frontal chimp system primitive works, it never looks for solutions. It doesn't ever look for solutions. It looks for avoidance of problems, and there's a difference. So it'll it'll avoid problems. So therefore, it's not a solution maker. And one of its solu- is one of the ways it believes there's a solution is it just screams. And when it's had a good scream, it's okay. Yeah. But nothing's changed. But it feels good. So, and and I encourage that, I think that's something, if it works for you, then express, you know, whereas other people say, if I start expressing, it gets a hold of me and it gets worse. So it goes back again to saying, let's look at how you want to operate with your brain to make sure you do the right thing for you to optimise your performance. Am I,
0: sorry, am I am I right in trying to explain you, people's chimps then? If I can blanket a chimp, yeah? It sounds to me like he's a bit of a overexcited, energetic shit, really, yeah? But you need to learn to live with it and talk to it and calm it down. And like, when you hear it, yeah. calm, let's have yeah. it, come on,
2: we're fine, we're fine. Most of the time, yes. Like I say, it depends on what it's trying to do. Yeah. Um, but also I keep saying in the new book that I've written that uh, you've got to start harnessing the power. It's not a negative force. Uh, bizarrely, it's always on side. This part of your brain is always trying to help. It's just what it proposes and its methods aren't helpful at times. Yeah. So it's your job to use that discernment. So if we were having an argument, for example, uh, and my natural reaction is to shout back, if you raise your voice, then we know we we mimic. Uh, However, that's not helpful. We know that doesn't help. Um, So it's better for me to say, right, I'll go calm and listen first. Now that will help. We know that. So it's learning to say, right, we're not going to go natural, we're going to go supernatural, I'd call it, and say, I'm going to change systems because then I'll get the outcome I want so but there might be times where people say yeah but when i scream that person listens uh i'd be pushed to actually believe that yeah. but it they could be right and i'm after to say right okay it, when you're talking that unique individual their chimp responds to a bit of yeah a you bit know of, shouting yeah. back and then they're both calm but it, it's that's why i'm saying when i'd work with people it's longer term rather than one-offs because you're saying how do i start really understanding myself and understanding what presses my buttons what doesn't uh, and then working out my methodology for how I want to present myself. So,
1: how important is body language then? Let's let's look yeah. at that scenario there, where um, you might go supernatural and say, "Do you know yeah. what? My instinct and my chimp wants yeah. to shout back yeah. and shout louder." Is often yeah. often the case, and we I always my example is always probably the worst example I think at home, you know, with yeah. my wife or something like that. But what happens with your body language? So, if you say, "Okay, I'm going to listen," yeah but your body language is off yeah. and the other person can see that. So uh, how, how important is body language? And is this something you like actively work on with people?
2: No, I think it's really important. I don't, because I think you end up being false and you're absolutely right. If your facial expression doesn't marry the rest of your body, then n- nobody's fooled. Yeah. We know that you pick it up. Uh, the, the chimp brain reads body language. We can't. So the human side of the brain, we just have no idea. Really, yeah. The The chimp chimp brain picks it up rapidly, (laughs) and it will get it right. So it will get that like not happy feeling, or this person feels genuine. So the answer is you. Your facial expression is closely linked to your thoughts and and emotions. You can't disentangle them. So children demonstrate that beautifully. As adults, we try and mask it, but we don't do that well. People think they're good at fooling, but most people go away uneasy. Their chimps are telling them, I'm not sure. Uh, the answer is change your thoughts and beliefs. Then your body language will mimic what you believe. So if I'm having this terrible argument with Ben and then I suddenly think, you know, it's not helping me. But I believe that the best thing for me to is stop and listen. But I believe it sincerely, not just hold your breath and wait for him to come and then go for him. Yeah. If I actually believe that this is the best way forward, then my body language and facial expression will mimic that.
1: That's a, that's a lot of discipline. Yeah. It, it is, that's, that's good mind management. It's a management. skill. It is, yes.
2: It's not discipline, really. It's a skill. I'm only <laughs> correcting you. Because again, if you start saying it's discipline, you're putting this pressure on people. You know, there's a subtlety between having that discipline where people say, oh, I can't do it, I can't. And a skill where people accept skills are required. You have to work on them and you work on them for a long time. And some days you don't get it right with the skill. So you're then a bit kinder to yourself. Say, yeah, I don't always get it right. It's a skill. You know, whereas if you take it to discipline, then it sounds like you should always be able to get it right. Yeah, sure. Do you,
0: do you sure. think ego ego comes into that a bit then? Because well, it can get muddled in. Yeah, it I can think get muddled in. I, I think somebody with a big ego would struggle to um, not go back at somebody. But that's yeah, a, but, that's the but, skill but then end.
2: again, yeah. But if you talk it through and say, I mean, obviously going to a previous life of mine where I'm working in forensics, and you get guys who are very fast tempers and have got themselves into trouble. Uh, because of it and you talk to them and they're sat in a pub and someone's eyeballing them and normally that would lead to an escalation uh, and you say to them is your belief that someone who gets into fights is a tough guy or is your belief that someone who can walk away is a bigger guy sometimes they change their mind say no it's a bigger guy and they walk away and, and they don't say to bite my tongue I, they say no I felt big I walked because their belief has changed mm. so if if they believe that then it's not a struggle and it's not a discipline it's a skill to say I've changed my mindset and I'm going to stick with that mindset so it's not an effort then it's fascinating because
1: obviously the new book um which we're going to do a giveaway so we we'll, if, if you don't mind signing a copy and we'll okay. do a giveaway um it's fascinating how you say that the chimp isn't isn't your enemy it's no. your friend and your industry Ben football there's a real balance isn't it where I, I'm guessing you need the chimp sometimes so sure, yeah um tell could you mind telling Steve this is one of, probably the most fascinating story you've ever told me about when you won the league cup final with birmingham and there was that yeah, animalistic yeah, yeah. behavior before the game yeah so we had a, we,
0: there's actually two of these stories actually but i'll tell you the birmingham one okay so um we when i was at birmingham city we got into the league cup final against arsenal uh it was at wembley and we were the massive underdogs like birmingham city i think we were like 16 to 1 to win on the day kind of thing um so yeah we're massive underdogs everybody expects us to lose um but we had like an we had an older team a, a bit more experience a bit more sort of nouse about us really so when, when at Wembley what happens is you line up in your changing rooms like there's a little tunnel bit to your changing room but what they'll do is they'll open the doors and you can see into the other tunnel into the other changing room so they've opened our doors and our captain Stephen Carr um Irish guy leader of men honestly absolutely he opens his mouth and everybody just goes yep okay I'll have that kind of thing brilliant um so anyway they opened the arsenal doors and they're they're a much younger team they were they were they were kind of 22 23 average age or something incredible footballers massively over like they're much more skillful than us they're better players they're fitter they're faster everything um but we opened these doors and i remember steven carr straight away and it'll give me goosebumps and it'll make my eyes water when i say it because it just makes me feel that moment straight away but he said boys have a look into that changing room over there goosebumps straight away and he said they might have more than us, they might have more skill, they might be better, they might be faster, but they haven't got what we've got in here. And he banged his chest. And honestly, it gets a lump in my throat even saying it. And he said that and every one of us shut up and we all roared. And I mean, the biggest, like, couldn't control our roar. Our chimp just went crazy at that, rattling the bars he was. Um, And we went out and honestly, we were not overplayed at all. We won the game 2-1 in normal time. And I honestly think that moment, got in Arsenal's head like you wouldn't believe because they were looking at us and we could see it. They were looking at us as if they say, what the heck are they doing? Are they on something? It was incredible.
2: Yeah. So I've had to interpret it. Um, and again, I'm not here to judge. I'm saying, let's just look at what happened and what what is right and wrong is up to you. I, I don't know what works best. If you think about it, um, You will evoke their chimp brain. That's what you very nicely because uh, if they're not aware, then your raw will have set them off. They think they're up for this, so now it's like chimp to chimp, and it's destroying them. So now they'll you're likely to intimidate them emotionally so that will work that will work however let's say i worked with them then it wouldn't have an effect
0: (laughs) i would say you know
2: (laughs) let them go chimp lads but this this is what this is what i
0: said to you earlier on though i said i said before um we got into the podcast i said this is the part of football that i just still don't understand so we have coaches for absolutely everything steve we do we have you have fitness coaches you have um gym coaches first team coaches goalie coaches you have a shooting coach yeah you have everything for coaches But in football clubs, you still don't have somebody to work on the brain, a brain coach, like a a full time -time in-house brain coach to say, right, when this happens in a game and you feel this, this is how you can deal with it. This is where you can place it and be able to move on from it. And I think it's still a massive part of football. Considering the money that's in football, it's still missing massively.
2: I think... There are more sports psychologists around now than, say, when I started in this field over 20 years ago. Uh, So things are improving. Um, But again, I can't speak because I don't know the statistics. So I'll go on what you're telling me. Um, It's up to the players, I suppose, to reach out and say, right, can I try this out? And, And like anything, there'll be some excellent people around. There'll be some that are not so good. And I think sometimes, you know, people may work with me and say it didn't work for me, I didn't like it and I just don't gel with them. Uh, it's up to the therapist or the psychologist, psychiatrist, whoever, to tune in. And th- that, like footballers, they'll have a skill base in its own right. Yeah. So I think in the past, developed back 20 years ago, the difference is I think then they came in with a recipe if you look at all the like sports psychology books or even just general psychology, it was like this is what works. Yeah, blanket, there was no ad- yeah, there was no adapting, and even in mental health, where at, this is my real world, is in hospital medicine, we've gone much more into look, look at the person in front of you. Mm-hmm. Stop just going through. This is depressive illness. This is how we treat it. Look at the person in front of you and say, what's the best treatment for this person? Yeah. So uniqueness is the thing. So do you
0: think then? It, it might be a case of each player needs to go and find somebody that's find in tune someone with that resonate Yeah, someone that resonate with, yeah.
2: they think this is actually working for me. And, and to me, as they will do, that I say there's excellent sports psychologists around, is um, to uh, do a two-way process. It's not me telling, I work with the person. You sit together and explore what they want and what their mind's doing. And again, it's like you just said, with the tunnel experience, you know, if you get them roaring, you know, it might be an advantageous thing to do. It intimidates, back to your body language. Um, but it might be you have to learn, right, what's the potential if they don't respond? Yeah. And if they do, what do we do next? So it's almost like a, a plan, like you would in football. What's the moves? You know, what are our strategies? So you can have strategies psychologically uh, so that you're working with your opponent and seeing what are they doing. Yeah. Uh, it depends on how strong the opponent is. Well, so-
1: it's like tunnel management. Um, like if you're in a... Surprised it's not been talked about more, like in the football tunnel, where the teams are that it's like gladiators ready to go yeah, yeah. out, ready to go to, and I I called that like a war cry, isn't it? Yeah. Look at look, at, can we just talk about the All Blacks for a moment? So yeah. obviously there are other other nations that do it, but the All Blacks historically the best yeah. rugby team in the world. When they do the hacker before the game, I don't care kind of who you are on the other side of the pitch. That must intimidate. It
2: surely. It depends on the person. I mean. I'm taking extremes, I mean devil's advocate, but yeah, generally, if the person receiving it's just not trained in any way, hasn't thought it out, then you'd expect it to intimidate them. Not everybody, remember? Yeah. Some people would actually get up for it and yeah. think, great, they set themselves up and they love that. So when somebody beats their chest and says, I'm going to, there are a small number of athletes who actually get energy from that and think, I love it bring it on is that like fight or flight type that's the fight where their their uh, mind is saying if somebody throws the gauntlet down i pick it up and that can be natural for them so actually beating your chest is probably counterproductive for you because all you've done is given them the energy to take you on
0: are there the people that normally rise to it the elite athletes
2: no, my experience, I only one man was one experience, but I've found that athletes at all levels and unique ones, Olympians and all the rest, and uh, world-class athletes, are, are unique to themselves. Yeah. I, I find them are all different types of personalities. So you get some of them who are so getting themselves such a state before a competition and allow their mind to just run crazy. But still can do it. And still it. win, you know, and still... Flick into it and they're just their abilities unbelievable that's and it, you get others who are just so driven and whatever and they're useless when they get out there <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing
1: when when you talk about big game players and and that when it really matters and people prefer yeah. performing under pressure is that we talked about it earlier on but when when it needs a calm head is that then a percentage of that the, the best maybe will be that's a natural Uh, but then obviously that's trainable
2: yeah when i went into this obviously i I was it was new to me in sports i'd like to i'm a doctor and a scientist so i went into the research that had been done there's not that much but there's some substantive research and from my perspective using the model that i've got i realized that when people go in the zone as they talked or in the flow and they, they do perform really well and they were saying what are the characteristics and it's like this ability of confidence total focus belief in yourself you know and can you put that into them? that was my question can i do that with a sports person and the answer was i can help them to get there i can because you're switching to the third system so the computer is actually the system that knows what to do so if you have somebody who's performing in sport and they're performing via their human system, they will feel calm, but they'll actually be fairly clumsy and not very quick. So it's much better to them moving to the chimp system in sport because although it's unpredictable and could make poor judgments, it's very fast to act. Yeah. However, if they move to the computer, it's like lightning speed. So that's what people have said to me over the years is, it just I just did it and it just happened. I didn't think. Yeah. It was just like that's the floor where you can't remember it's what we mentioned with chris hoy he just was so focused on process he forgot he was even there and that's the computer system which is not distracted at all that's the best one it's... to work
0: on is that the unconscious one that's, yeah, it the just computer system. Yeah, and it's yeah.
2: so fast, you don't have a chance to think. Yeah, It's instant responses. And for nearly all sports people, the computer system has been primed, so it doesn't need our yeah, help. It's programmed, yeah. isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And you rehearse That's it, rehearse do. it. So if you actually got rid of, we can't neurosurgically remove the human and chimp, your oh. computer will run the system. It's all yeah.
1: people say about
0: autopilot. Yeah, autopilot. Well, it's That's a it's computer. It it's autopilot. a computer. You do yeah. your best work, like training pitch. We, yeah. when I always say to the young lads, Lads, you know when you're on the training pitch, how much do you smile? Like, yeah. And when you're smiling, you just do things better, don't you? Yeah. You do things naturally. Yeah. It comes to you. You're, you're having a good time. It's like a kickabout in the playground with your mates. You just have a nice time and do it naturally. If you can learn to do that and transfer that to a Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock, you've smashed it. Honestly, yeah. you've smashed it. Playing with the smile on your face is so important.
2: Because but if you think that the reason people can't is they haven't sorted their mind out. So what happens typically is athletes will say to me, I know what to do. Uh, and I think I've sort of like calmed myself down, but then they said I'm starting and then thoughts come in my head. So what you've got is an ill-disciplined mind, yeah. Because you've not addressed these thoughts, and, and the same thoughts come into your head every time. Yeah. And so you have to say it doesn't. It's not that invented the chimp. Yeah. Uh, so you've got to say, well, let's put them down and let's address them all, you know, and then they will still come in. Yeah. You know? So don't expect them not to. It's not the way the brain works. You can't remove them. It's an active part of your brain that keeps generating these thoughts spontaneously. So it's learning to prepare your mind before you go out there. It's no different in my world to preparing your body. Physically, you wouldn't just go out and play. You go out and warm up. You go through the motions. You know, that's what I do with the mind. I say, well, let's do which I class as a mental up. So the mental warm-up puts you have a five-stage mental warm-up and I work with what the neuroscience tells you to do and the mind works in a set way and if you jump in the wrong order then it just starts malfunctioning Yeah. so you have to learn how to run your mind just in case I'm going to mention it I've got a sports conference coming maybe after this has gone out in September because people keep asking what do you do so my team are going to do this and they're going to look at things like mental warm-up and uh, the fearing failure if you get the consequence coming in Uh, so You know, it is a program that you have to learn and then practice a skill base and acquire it. But it's so going back to what you're saying, I think for me, the biggest question, like even with the England football was we haven't had time to prepare the minds and and get them in a great place. And then then they can come out and smile. Yeah. But if you're saying to them, look, smile and relax, but they've got even one or two thoughts that are just dragging them down, then they can't. The rule of the brain is that thought will dominate and it will sabotage them. They'll say to you, I, I'm trying to. So, so this is, if you, can, you can boil it down
0: then, basically. You're, obviously your mind's a muscle. Yeah. So you spent however many years building your muscles up in your body, haven't you? Yeah. You're, you're, you're Everything, every muscle yeah. and you warm up every day and you build up and you strengthen. And, but then you were bought in for the World
2: Cup and you had six months. It's not long enough, is it? No, that was the problem and it's intimate yeah. because you're all in different teams so we were never together. Yeah, sure, We have one like uh, session together and you've got all the other things to do which yeah. you, you know, learn your strategies and go. so... You know, you are on the pitch half the time. I stood watching. Do you remember the travel, the travelling?
0: So, and the travelling was tra- oh endless. God. It was such a nightmare. We were we, we were stationed on um, Copacabana Beach. We were our training ground was about an hour and a half <laughs> away. Right, we had to get on the coach. We had to have an two armored tanks behind us, an armored tank in front. We had a helicopter. There was a warship over there in the <laughs> sea. It was absolute. Ca- the traffic was horrible. Um, I uh,
2: think and people don't recognize that. And also, yeah. the thing like my friends just said, "Oh, you must have stayed in these really great hotels." Some of them were pretty dark. <laughs> No, they were. I said no. There's a rule you're not allowed to. You have to stay in the hotels they give you. And I yeah. said and some of them were a little bit rough and ready. And you get a floor. That's it. And yeah. your floor is your floor.
0: And you stay on that floor. There's guards everywhere. And that's it. You just stay there. So you could be in the most beautiful city in the world. You're still in that hotel. And that's it. Isn't I it?
2: think yeah. I think people don't see that part of yeah, it. Yeah, sure. And it, it is physically and emotionally exhausting. You know when you look at what you went through. Yeah. Uh, and you're in the spotlight all the time. Uh, it yeah. It was a tough time but was a tough again time, yeah. a privilege to do it and enjoyable and I don't think anybody complained about going
0: no sure you're it... right um I've got another good question actually so if if say hypothetically you had to I, I say I had to build my perfect footballer okay I'm built yeah. I've, I've built the, the the legs of this player yeah. the the passing of that player blah, blah 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 um I'd put the brain part of it separate to the body yeah okay. even though it's part how important is the most physically capable player but hasn't got the brain
2: okay i get asked this a lot and i think the way i'd say it is um if you took 10 people randomly off the street then you couldn't make them into the football team unless they've got some ability and they're trained and you, like you say, rightfully got the physically there. It's the same for me, if you take 10 people randomly, they will have emotional skills already and some will already be high. You know, They don't need me to tell them certain things or explain or go through. Others will be pretty awful and how far they can go is exactly the same physically. Some people work all the time and they don't improve too much. They do improve, everyone improves emotionally, but some just take off and become incredibly emotionally skilled. So it's no different to physical it to me it's a skill base you've got a basic genetic preload and then you work with what the genes have given you yeah so again going back to what we said earlier if you've got a system which is fairly horizontal and fairly easy going and you utilize that's a lot easier to manage than someone whose system is all over the place and creating havoc you know whenever age? it's threatened what about
1: age steve so like me and ben are nearly 40 now yeah and let's say that we've got um both of us have got elements you know with these skills that yeah. mind skills that we want to develop is is there an element of like teaching old dogs new tricks or can you get to 40 50 60 and still develop as
2: yeah the, the, the difference there are differences now with the physical body obviously we're at a prime when we're younger uh emotionally and mentally we you could any time we can pick this up so if somebody comes to me at the age of 80 and says, can I have a look at this, and they're willing to work, they can transform the way their mind functions. Wow, okay. So yeah, that doesn't make a difference. And the other way is physically, which I say when I'm working with athletes, is at what point do you think I'm not going to get physically any fitter or learn any new techniques, whatever sport I'm working in. Uh, and they will probably say anywhere between a week and a month, depending on the sport, they'll say, I've reached it. The mentally, it's not the same because... Physically, you're more or less predetermined for that last run into your competition. Mentally, it's on the day. Yeah. So on the day, your mind can just jump you somewhere into a great place or not such a good place. <laughs> so the mind is is a it's a different way of working. And the good news is, if you train the mind, you can turn it around within minutes. So um, with permission, because she's obviously public about working, one of the best I've seen was Vicki Pendleton. Yeah. Who had as very publicly talked about this, uh, a chimp that's all over the place. Uh, And I remember at the final of one of the World Championships, she was about to go up and she just got hijacked. And we'd been working on this for some time. And I remember she turned to me and said, I'm going to do this. And I saw within 60 seconds, she turned her mind round into this amazing bring it on. And I didn't get involved. I just said, OK, I waited and she said, I've done it. And she got won the world title. Uh, And that was probably one of the most impressive that I've seen where you think there, there was this really set in, I just want to walk away, I just want this over, I don't care anymore, into, it's mine, it's my track, I'm going to take this. So that's something that, for me, that's an example of someone that you think, oh, wow. With no intervention. No intervention. I just stayed as a safety net and that point. We know, and as I say, I work with someone and we know what key points they're going to come. Yeah. I have work all grade A hits for each individual, I them to have five, and these are real strong beliefs, stabilizers for the mind, and they're unique to the person. So I tease them out, work with them practicing, uh, and then put them in on the day, and they get better, and these are the things that we know will turn them around.
0: In, in sport then, is that probably your, one of your proudest sort of, yeah, that... That, that
2: there's been loads i mean it like i say it's a bit bizarre that i'm not really a sports fan but but i'm a people fan yeah. and so it's been a massive privilege and obviously sports take me all over the world and through five olympics now and and i've worked with so many national sports and i've met fantastic individuals so i love the people i work with and i love to see them succeed so when people say what's your best moments i have so many yeah and it's often not just gold medal moments i've had people who've gone to a final in some events but to me that was the best thing ever that's their gold medal anyway just qualified for the Olympics yeah. and to me that was it yeah. you know we knew that we were never going to medal but and I've supported athletes on that journey and you feel like you know you're part of their journey which is fantastic privilege yeah do you think um, do you think
0: athletes who are part of a team are different to manage or different to kind of try and work with from your perspective than an individual sport
2: yeah Yeah, you've got to adapt because obviously when you're an individual, you've got autonomy almost. You know, you'll have a coach and depending what they're like uh, and then a team behind you. But basically you're on your own out there. In a team, you've got to abide by team rules. So you can't just decide what you want to do. So it's very important that the team is cohesive and they buy into a set of values and a set of principles, set of working strategies. So you buy into a team. Uh, if you don't, then you do get problems. And I do get called in where you'll get an individual who's disrupting the team. Yeah. Uh, and we know that sometimes, even though they may be one of the most talented, if you take them out, the team can work there. Yeah, you'll get more from the team. Uh, but that's not my job. My job is to just...
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. With, with the Olympics, so often you hear about the success stories and the, the highs. Yeah. Um, lows are often associated with, with losses. Yeah. We have heard a lot I know I'm kind of new to it about this gold medal syndrome of winning a gold Mm. and then this like massive low afterwards. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah. I mean, we had amazing success in Beijing uh, over the cycling team. That was just phenomenal. And it it was brilliant to be part of that. And uh, when we came back, I remember one of the press interview, I think it was the times and they were saying about exactly this. And with permission from the athletes, uh, we had uh, five athletes who were gold medalists who sank. Um, And there's a lot of reasons people sink after getting a real high because clearly you get this in all walks of life. I'm an academic, I'm a professor at Sheffield Medical School. So my job over the last 20, 30 years is teaching medical students to be doctors. And a lot of them experience this. I've often got calls in August when they've got their exam results. They've become a doctor after five years and now they've just sunk. So we do get this drop. So it's very important that after you've got whatever result, particularly a gold medal, you have something planned. Mm. Because if you don't have something planned, it can just be a holiday or some other venture, or then you you suddenly lose all impetus and momentum because the goal has come and gone. And often it doesn't feel as good as you thought it would. And there's all this hype on the day, then suddenly you're out the limelight, it's gone. You're old news. And if you're not prepared for that, then you can have this terrible sinking feeling. I mean, we see it medically. For anyone who's listening, uh, when women have babies, that you know, while they're pregnant, many women get a sense of attention. The baby arrives, and we all quite rightly focus on the baby. Yeah. We forget the poor woman who's been through it. So we often, to remind the guys, you know, can you remember? better love. Yeah. You know, don't don't neglect your wife because she's our girlfriend. She's the one who just produced the child. But again, it's that feeling of you know, I've I've done my job, and suddenly there's this. Oh wow, where do I go now? Yeah. Uh, but. Detouring on that one, there was some interesting research showing that gold medalists have longer lives than silver medalists. No, they <laughs> yeah, yeah, and bronze medalists outweigh the silvers, uh, wow. and that's interesting for me. And it, it actually makes sense because what you find is people who get gold medals obviously achieved. So on a good side, most people don't get depressed; they actually are elated for life and think, "I did it, I did it," and that's great, and you can relive it. The silver medalists often have a mentality, not all, that I didn't quite get there. And that pervades through life, and it can be quite damning if you're not careful. Instead yeah. of saying, that's a phenomenal achievement. The bronze medalists tend to have an approach that, you know, I made it, I made it, yeah, yeah I could have got nothing. Scru- just crept in. Exactly. So it's interesting that, I mean, obviously I'd like to take that away from sport and say we can, if we're not careful and prepare ourselves, we do that to ourselves with everything. You know, if we achieve something, great, but if we don't quite achieve it, we can go over that for the rest of our lives. And I I meet this in businesses, I meet it in career people, not just in sport, and it chews them up instead of saying, hang on, let's just process this, because it's unprocessed um, outcomes. And instead of just saying, let's look at what the silver medalist meant, then you can, I suspect, get a longer life. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but that was quite an, a strange piece of research uh, I didn't like that No. but, but it does uh, resonate true, that people who often feel I didn't quite make it it eats them up for a long time yeah. and it can produce low self esteem low confidence not just in sport but in anything the what if what yeah. if what so if, if we don't and, and you've got to learn to process yeah. that it's reasonable to say what if but not for the rest of your life no you're
0: not wrong it's um, not helpful it's, in, it's interesting you said there about um, so again when going back to the birmingham cup final so we won the final yeah. um but we were still in a relegation scrap and we had i think after after the cup final there's still probably 12 games to go until the end of the season so we had plenty of time to i think we are just above the relegation zone but that cup final took so much emotionally out of every single member of that team the the coaches the the managers everything the physio took so much out of everybody I think for the remaining 12 games of the season i think we won one drew one lost 10 and we ended up getting relegated Mm -hmm. and i remember honestly being on the pitch for the last sort of half a dozen games and you could feel there was just no energy like within them as people within their legs anything they were zapped they were absolutely gone and it it is quite we must have suffered from that kind our chimp just must have taken so much energy
1: out of us that day and we've done it but was oh that because it was so unexpected as well so it's almost like you know having a gold medal but if you're to Chris Hoy Vicky Pendleton someone like that there's an expectation or a, a very high chance you're going to win gold with Birmingham although there was only two teams on the day yeah. obviously you were never expected to no, win that we game. should have finished eighth in that race of two people yeah <laughs> we should have done um, but I think that
0: at, at that moment I think looking back and it's not a regret because everything that happens I still look at it and think yeah that was brilliant but Um, that would have been a really good opportunity That if we had got something in place in the start of the season yourself somebody in sports psychology to have started working with us so that when that moment happened it could have been right boys we need to reframe a little bit here enjoy it sure but you can't let this kind of go and it was everybody was so flat Steve it was incredible
2: yeah I mean One of the ways I approach that is looking like a hurdles race, you know, when you jump in a hurdle, you don't think about that, you look at the next one and I don't know because I wasn't there, so I don't know what happened that season, but from what you're saying, you know, you do wonder whether you jumped the hurdle and forgot to look at the next ones and you should have been in midair thinking we're going to celebrate when we finished it all, but got another eight hurdles to jump here, let's keep going. So, but I don't know, I don't know. Nobody took you through it, so I have no idea no, what's in here. And yeah, we, it we
1: were talking about, obviously, players and teams. What about the, the kind of leadership behind them? So, um, we talked about yeah. uh, Sir Dave Brailsford, for yeah. example. Do you, have you worked over your career a lot about the leadership element yeah. and um, about tell us about like about communicating effectively as a leader, I, yeah. team talks and leading by example, for etc.
2: Again, I'm not there to tell people. What I can say is that there are different styles of leadership, well recognised and written about. Um, again, my approach would be to say to that person, "What is it you want to get out of your team? What are you doing? Is it working? How do you measure that? You know, can you demonstrate to me? Is there an alternative? Do you want to try an alternative?" And give suggestions so on a very simple level uh, you often see team leaders and they will give instructions to a team you know let's say it's a hockey team and they're about to go out and they say this is what we're going to do and uh, they do it very clearly so it's a single message great they don't confuse it with other things however when the team leave the room and you stop one of the players say what did they say you'll find most of the team can't tell you so they heard it but then it's gone yeah. it's gone out the head and they it's think true. i don't know you don't process it exactly yeah. so you have to say right stop so you can improve your communication as a leader ah. by saying i want you to stop and go around the room and you explain to each other maybe what have i just said but there's another step forward because that's giving you a, an ability to be a parrot and repeat and yeah. get it right roughly but then if you start pushing further with communication say right can you tell me why i said it you've now reached a new level in the brain because it's now got to integrate it into what's going to apply for that person and what are you going to do with it and you can go further by saying what's the consequence sorry if we do it and what's consequence if we don't do it now you've reached a massive change in the brain because it's now got an accountability wow so now you so so you can teach leaders to do this and say can we look at your communication but what I wouldn't do is say, please don't shout at them. I'd say, if that's what you want to do, that's up to you. All I want you to do is, is discuss with me what the consequences are. And could it be you need to nail certain key players and speak to them slightly differently? Would that work? Because not everybody responds to uh, pleasant talk. Not everyone responds to being shouted at. Yeah. So I would look at the devil in the detail, but I'm not going to tell them what to do. I can offer suggestions and observations and ask them to check it out. So that you can check out whether you're succeeding or i've that.
0: never seen i've never seen a manager team talk go like I say the steps there isn't there? Yeah. There's like the communication yeah. steps there are three or four steps it's literally you've got, you yeah. nailed it on the head, he will talk, but everybody is in their own little world of right this is what I'm doing today I'm up against him, so just don't mess up, don't mess up, and I guarantee you most people are saying the same thing all right but you're not listening. You you look like you're paying attention. Right. You're trying to catch eyes. Yeah, I'm listening, I'm listening. You're not listening.
2: The problem is then what happens is when, uh, let's go back to hockey game, they come off the, the pitch and then the, the team manager will start going at me saying, why are they not listening? I've told them and I think, okay, we'll go again. And I'll say, well, they didn't actually take on board anything you said, because <laughs> yeah. they're saying they're just deliberately doing this. And I've told you and I'm screaming and telling them. And so you've got to say, well, it's not working then. Yeah. You know, and so we'll have to try a different method and see if that can work. But I think it's like you're saying, that's been open to change. Mm. And so there are people I've worked with, like Dave Brailsford, who are really open. Yeah. So, again, I never tell him, but he's so insightful anyway. Yeah. He's a natural leader. And he had most of these skills. It wasn't like I went in. and, uh, But we worked very well and still there was a team. So we can bat ideas off, you know, and he's got the expertise in the sport and I've got the expertise in the psychological aspects and the psychiatry. So, and that's like a good combination, but it's the willingness to listen. Yeah. And I have to do that as well as the psych. I've got to stop and listen because every spot I've worked in is unique. So I can't say, right, this is what I do in sport. Cause you can imagine working with say Ronnie Sullivan in snooker uh, is very different to working with a golfer. Yeah. You know, someone who's public working with me and there's quite a few and they'll say it's very different because to tennis, you know, because in tennis, it's fast and furious. So they're going to experience a very different kind of mindset to Ronnie, where you have to sit and wait for your opponent to finish yeah. sabotaging mm. your play. Yeah. Whereas golf, no one sabotages you. Y- your mind starts on you. And some of them are saying between the holes, that's when it hits me. Others say I'm fine between. It's when I get on the green. Yeah. That it starts again. So you have to, again, say, I have to, I have to learn to tune into each sport and the mentality of each sport and, and the culture of each sport because all the sports have their own culture. So unless I do that with anyone I meet, even business people, I've got to learn their business, their culture, what their rivals are like, what they're trying to achieve. It takes a lot of time, that, yeah? It does. Yeah. I have to understand the setting. Otherwise, you're not appropriate in what I'm offering them. You know, so working with, say, with the police or working uh, with the ambulance service are very different. Yeah. It's very different. There's different roles here and there's different cultures. So they're both frontliners, But for me, the subtleties are important. Otherwise, I won't get it right. And football was definitely different in its culture to a lot of other sports.
0: Can we, sorry, you just mentioned Ronnie. I've got to, I I need to, I need to ask some (laughs) questions about Ronnie because... If I'm a, i've played snooker all my life i love snooker i'm yeah. rubbish at it um but ronnie is like the pin up boy for i love him yeah. i absolutely love him is like he is a classic example of if he can go on autopilot yeah. he is the most gifted snooker player that will ever live in the history of ever left hand right hand whatever you want he's got it um and i it would be fascinating to know that he's actually talked to you a lot about this to try and i could imagine a lot of the time is him just saying Just get me on autopilot, Steve.
2: Yeah, I mean... Obviously he's given me permission. He always says, share with everyone. Share I with love everyone. That. I love that. He's a great guy. Yeah, And he says, I don't care that I can know everything. I'm not gonna tell you everything. Uh, but I've worked with him now for over 10 years. And uh, obviously I'm close friends with him and he comes to stays so it's not like, you know. And can you ask
0: him to come on the podcast please? Cause we, <laughs> I want Ronnie on the podcast. So I love have done on
2: stage work with him. We've done a we number Ronnie. of on stages and we tend to just chat cause he's quite open and I'll ask the questions and uh, he's a good laugh. He's got great sense of humor. Um, I think the, when he came to see me, he didn't want to meet me. Uh, but within like 20 minutes, he said, this was different. Yeah. Uh, and I guess I'm, I'm from Yorkshire. So I was quite, you know, very a spade's to spade, yeah. <laughs> straight in. Uh, and he liked that. And, uh, and obviously, I got on really well with him. He's a great guy and he works so hard. And I think people need to be aware of that, that he's one of probably the best students I've got. Really? Yeah, he never lets go. And he works constantly on this both on the table and off the table Uh, he's absolutely determined to get it and he's learned so much so and his progress has been fantastic and we've had slight slight slip backs and so on which he accepts you know that that's part of the skill so he's got to know his own mind really well uh, and he could probably come and teach it for you really yeah but yeah but yeah when I first met him uh, the turning point was the there was a moment which I showed him on the internet where he walked out of a match he hit the table with the queue and yeah. stormed out. Yeah. And it was a classic moment that this often shown. And I asked him about that. I said, can you remember? He said, I remember it. And this is why he resonated quick. He said, as I was doing it, I'm thinking, I just want to stay and enjoy and play my snooker. And I had this little voice in my head, And it it hit the queue and was going, right, we're going out of here. And and he said, and I think, why am I doing this? And I'm walking out thinking, what's the point of walking out? And I get the change room and I said, now I've got to face the press and this little voice goes, and I'll I'll deal with them as well. So (laughs) he he knew, he said, as soon as he that's my chimp.
0: And so
2: him, it was a massive light bulb. But he followed that up with a lot of questions, a lot of uh, phone calls, come and stayed, spent a lot of time together um so yeah he's great as a, a student guy. he's progressed and progressed to new depths and he gets the subtleties um but again like i said at the beginning that doesn't mean when we go and he's perfectly calm what he says is right i've got to get my mindset right so we we tune in to the worlds or the masters uh so we don't just walk in and go right let's be positive mm. that doesn't happen what we do is weeks of build work up before to it. we build up to it and then when he goes in each year he's got better and better every year he gets Amazing. better.
0: we're talking about Ronnie O'Sullivan, the, oh, best, the, mo- the best no yeah, at that, yeah. that moment when you're talking about i remember yeah, yeah. It, everybody I remember. remembers it but the fact that even he Ronnie o'sullivan who is the best player that's ever lived right he he's done that thousands of times on that snooker <sighs> table in arenas everywhere and yet still he couldn't control yes. <laughs> this horrible little thing yes. going Smack the balls and now walk out and now do exactly. this, and he's going, "Yep, okay, I'll do it. I'll do
1: it." <laughs> but it's like, look, compare it to like normal civilian life. You, you've yeah. got an option, haven't you? So I do it sometimes. Where you go, do you know what? I'm just going to go for a walk, or it might be at yeah. lunchtime. We've had a busy day in here, and you go, do you know? What? I'm going to go and walk, get some lunch, and just just process and clear my mind and and get things. I think the thing is
2: to push that because, again, what's distressing to me is the pain people put themselves through, you know, and they know that they're torturing themselves. So you're absolutely right. You see, you've got an option here, but that's only true to a certain extent. We know what the options are. I don't think you've got an option unless you know how to manage the chimp. Yeah. And that's the problem. So when people say, well, just control your emotions, which you can't do, you can manage them, you can't control them. Uh, So so we know what the options are, that doesn't mean we can take them. You've got a formidable force in your head that's saying, no, I'm gonna take it this way. And unless you know how to overcome that, that part of your brain has got the capability of freezing you. So the chimp brain can freeze the human brain at will. And you need to recognise that. If
0: only we knew a book where you can learn (laughs) how to do that. If only we knew a book.
2: <laughs> the Chimp Paradox was, when I, mean, I wrote it, I was pushed. It was by medical students who thought it was great. And one of the girls said, you have to write this before you die. Uh, so I thought, great. So I, <laughs> I put it out there. And obviously, I was a bit apprehensive because behind locked doors, I'm saying you've got this little chimp, a little human and a computer system. And they said, it's great, though. It explains neuroscience and it makes sense. Yeah. So eventually, I put it out. I thought, just put it out there. Because, you know, I was on a BBC programme and they were saying, what is this chimp? And I thought... Well, if people ridicule me, they do. So I made a pact with my chimp. I literally did, I said, I'll write the book provided at least 10 people say it's changed my life. And then you don't care what the rest of the world says. Uh, And I got that within a week, which was very humbling. And it's just taken off, but that was a concept. And what people were saying to me is it's great, but I can't apply it. I get it, but how do I apply it to get like my happiness, my confidence, my success? It tells you the basic building blocks which is what I put out so I wrote a path through the jungle because the this 10 years on because the public was saying well give us actual work to do what do we actually do what exercises mm. would resonate that say this makes sense now and you got to practice them and practice forever yeah it's not something it's like going to the gym you yeah. can't go to the gym for a year and say i'm fit i'll stop now so this is a lifetime and i ask people to do five ten minutes development so this book is is in sections so it's literally a course yeah, okay. to follow and what i'm saying is if you follow this i've tried to show you all the aspects of the brain in a simplified way there is science in there but it's 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 a light touch the heavy stuff's at the back if people want to read it uh, with all the references but it takes you to a position of resilience You know robustness and resilience is what aim for and on route it'll cover things like happiness peace of mind success and i've tried to give as many everyday examples practical stuff we all face you know and do it in a way that people hopefully will say this is easy to follow and resonate and try the exercise
0: yeah they're very
2: practical so that's why i push this one out so if people want to buy one, I'd buy this. Well what we'll do is we'll course. we'll
0: put a link in the description down below on YouTube below this video. Um and that will take them to wherever it is wherever okay. it's Amazon or whatever I it yeah, is. I see must say
1: time. though, Ben, like I've am about halfway through that. Yeah. And obviously I've read the chimp paradox twice and we spoke off camera earlier yeah. on and I said the chimp chimp paradox like affected my life but didn't change it because yeah. for me it was it blew my mind it genuinely did but then i felt three months six months down the line we talk about a skill yes well unless you practice that skill it goes away so that is the the step yeah, isn't it this course one. of yeah. staying on top of it and it's not like oh i'm fixed now it's a case of no this is something you do as part of your exactly. life
2: exactly and, and one of the things i was going to put in when i first started writing the book was you know this is going to be tough And you'll struggle throughout life with it but you can succeed but sometimes no matter how long you do it your chimp brain will dominate you and you'll slide around Uh, and and i remember being told when i first put the chimp paradox i just said no one's going to buy it you have to tell them this will change your life in five minutes and i thought i'm not doing that it's tough to do this but what i would say to encourage people you can make big gains by one or two sessions a week you can make big differences You can just chip away, and what you'll find, which I do find, is people I've worked with, their partners usually say they've changed completely. Over the last two, three years, it's not the same. This person has moved into a position where they're so much more relaxed, so much more positive in life. Mm. So that's a privilege. And again, for the listeners, if they don't resonate with the chimp model, which is not for everyone, there's so many other things out there that they could go to. Yeah. You know, there's mindfulness and there's meditation, uh, hypnotherapy, there's lots of options. So get something that resonates with you. Yeah. I've just come as a doctor from neuroscience. You know and then try to explain it in an entertaining but serious way but it's not for everybody i can
0: say the um the chimp paradox is is without doubt the most read book in football i know that for sure steve there's honestly there's so many players that have got it in their locker like the top of their locker and i know for a fact they'll just flip through it now and then and have a little read and stuff like that um incredible we really, honestly really enjoyed that today thank you so much thank you um yeah for
2: inviting me can i make one more comment oh for sure really important because i want to wear my hat's a doctor a lot of people might be listening who they're not dysfunctional this is like we can't manage our mind there's nothing wrong with it but there will be people uh, particularly more on the men's side that you get worried about where they get suicidal thoughts or mental illness or depression and they're not recognizing their mind is not well so this isn't what the chip model was about. That's where you really need to see a doctor. This is my bread and butter now, okay. where you assess and it may need treatment. Yeah. It may need medication or real depth talking. Uh, so this is for people whose minds are more or less in a good place, but they're just not behaving. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, but I just want to remind people, if they're not in a good place, reach out. Yeah. Reach out yeah. and get someone who's qualified, one of the doctors, their GP, to talk to and give an assessment because It can be corrected so easily, and I can't tell you how many people I've dealt with, particularly younger people, who you get them onto a very, very simple medication and they'll say it's unbelievable a difference within a month how I feel, and they've not recognized it's an illness. Yeah, it's nothing to do with them. That, that do you know what? That, that's
1: it's a really poignant point you make, and actually, a friend of ours who, um, hopefully he's coming on soon um, Paddy the Baddy yeah, Patrick Patrick, the um, UFC fighter and um, he lost a friend recently through suicide and I think mm. he's got a platform and uh, won a fight at the weekend and a, a really great message from oh, him his speech it? was incredible basically just reach out talk to yeah, somebody talk
0: to people um, yeah. if ever you're having these feelings um, I was going to say at the beginning of the podcast that we're talking to a legend and I didn't say it because he said don't call me a legend <laughs> please don't but Steve Peters you are an absolute legend thank, and thank you, thank you so for much. coming
2: on. thank you my privilege thank great. You. well done Thank you. Brilliant, Steve.
1: Thanks, everybody, for watching. We hope you enjoyed the latest episode of the Fozcast. Don't forget to give us a follow on Spotify of the Fozcast.